Thanks for being here, y'all. Y'all have been a real blessing to me, and I appreciate it very much. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So the one that they've been looking for, that they were waiting and expecting and reading prophecies about comes, but he looks different than what they were expecting. And he lives different than they expected, and he dies differently than they expected. And he comes back to life, also not what they expected. So still many of the Jewish people don't believe. But a new faith is born, and a new community comes to be. And early on, they're known as the way. Later, they become known as Christians. And this early church becomes who you and I are today. Glory to God. And the disciples who start out as a band of scared-to-death followers of Jesus are so convinced that He is indeed the Son of God that many of them died a martyr's death. In fact, all of them died a martyr's death with the exception of John, and they just couldn't kill him. They tried everything they could, and they couldn't kill him. He was eventually exiled on the island of Patmos, where God gave him a revelation that would be a picture of heaven for us, the final city where we'll end up in fellowship together, the city that'll come down to earth. The new Jerusalem where a river flows from the throne and the tree of life is on its banks, right? So let's look at our icons. Uh, one more time, we'll review these together. Adam and Eve, the lion snake, the promise that came after uh, Noah, the promise that came to Abraham, the 12 guys, Egypt, Moses, the Ten Commandments, Joshua, going into the Promised Land, King David, good King David. Yesterday we talked about how we got Psalm 51 because of David's sin. Nothing is wasted, even our mistakes. Nothing is wasted. The United Kingdom, the Divided Kingdom, exile, there's always a remnant. The remnant comes back. They, be, they rebuild the temple. Still, they can't get everything right, but God has promised that he'll give us a new heart, that he will come and write his laws on our hearts. And so that's what happens when Jesus comes on that first Christmas morning. And then the crucifixion. But the resurrection, y'all. The resurrection. After his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days in and around uh, Jerusalem, appearing to various people and groups of people. He revealed himself to them. He gave them further instructions. One of the main instructions he gave his, his disciples was that word that we've talked about we don't really like, wait. He told them to wait in Jerusalem for another promise, a promise to come. Just before he ascended, he gave this very specific instruction. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So... I'm going to read some more. This is, yeah, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So today we're talking about Peter, Paul, and a post-Pentecost people, y'all. So the followers of Jesus did just what he told them to do. They stayed 
in Jerusalem in an upper room, and Scripture tells us that they were continually united in prayer. So it's on this day that the Hebrew people usually celebrated the Feast of Weeks. It was a feast um, that they celebrated the summer wheat harvest. It was a joyous time of giving thanks. The Greeks called it Pentecost. It was 50 days after they had celebrated Passover. And there were a lot of foreigners in the city at this time. And that morning, Scripture tells us in the second chapter of Acts, that the followers of Jesus were all together in one place. And you know the story. Suddenly the house that they were staying in was filled with this sound like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house. And tongues like flames of fire came down and rested on their heads and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and started talking in different languages as the Spirit gave them the supernaturally, supernatural ability to do this. And can you imagine? It freaked everybody out. They'd never even heard of this before. I mean, like, we've heard this story before. And so we're just like going, oh, yeah, I've read this story before. But can you imagine being there and all of a sudden fire is shooting out of your friends' heads? We've read the story before. We know about speaking in, in other languages. We've heard this story before. They've never heard the story before. And all of a sudden, fire, and not only fire, but you're looking at her, his, your husband, and he's talking in a language you've never heard come out of his mouth before. And here's the thing. There are people all over the city from other countries, and they begin to hear these Galileans talking, and they're talking in a language that these foreigners can understand. And they never went to language school. And what they're talking about are the magnificent acts of God. Visitors in the city from Libya and Rome were astounded and perplexed. They couldn't figure out how this was happening. The apostles were talking about the magnificent acts of God. And the people were totally blown, blown away by this. But some people were saying, oh, they're just drunk. What? Drunk people don't talk in another language that other people can understand. That doesn't work that way. So Peter stands up. Peter, the same guy that had been scared to death and had run away from Jesus, had run away and would not be identified with Jesus, the same guy that was, was, was so afraid that he had been hiding in an upper room, hiding, had been scared, now, here he is, just a few weeks later, I believe, empowered because of the Holy Spirit that had just come down. He is standing up in front of thousands of people, and he's testifying about Jesus. And he says, these people are not drunk. They're actually fulfilling a prophecy that was written hundreds of years ago. And this is the prophecy that they are fulfilling. It was written in the book of Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And Peter preaches this phenomenal sermon, and how many people get saved? 3,000 people get saved. That's pretty significant church growth right there. So here's what happens. Jesus says to his followers, the Father's promising you something, you just need to wait for it. Wait. Wait. <sighs> wait. And they do it. They stayed together. And the promise was this, the Holy Spirit. They waited, and the Holy Spirit came. And the result was 3,000 new believers. Now, there's other scriptures in the book of Acts that tell about how the Holy Spirit came and empowered believers. Oh, here's, here's Peter preaching to all those people. And here's this guy, and he doesn't look very happy about it. <laughs> but there's other, other scriptures in Acts talking about how the Holy Spirit came and um, gave the disciples, the new believers, power. This is Acts chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The multitude, the full number of those who believed. So there were a lot of people coming to know the Lord. In Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So people are coming to know Jesus, and people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, Acts 11 19, I'm going to read this out of my Bible because I don't have it up here. Acts 11, I must have decided last night that this was something that was important, so let's look at it. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, if you were in um, Joel's class just now, we talked about Stephen being persecuted and forgiving Saul who was standing there in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. So um, the church, <clears throat> the early church was being persecuted and what happened was um, he's murdered, Saul approves of his murder, and um, even though the early church is persecuted, it grows, it scatters, the people scatter, and, um, and instead of going into hiding, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the church grows. So I'm, at, I'm in 11 of Acts, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from, from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. We jumped over the fact that Paul, who had been in agreement with Stephen's murder because he had been the guy that was persecuting Christians. We totally skipped over chapter 9 where we know that Paul, on his way to uh, Damascus, meets Jesus and gets saved. So um, one of the most dangerous enemies of the early believers becomes one of the most influential church leaders when <coughs> this guy has a supernatural encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's in chapter 9. I want to look at a really cool story in Acts chapter 10. This account tells about two men whose paths never ever should have even crossed. They lived too far away from each other and culturally they should have never known each other. And if they had never met, you and I probably wouldn't be sitting here. We probably wouldn't be having family camp today because these two guys meeting changed the course of history. Look at Acts chapter 10. So if you're with me, flip back one page. Acts chapter 10. Starting with verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. So there's this guy named Cornelius. He's a centurion. For some reason, he's devout and God-fearing, and he's a prayer. 
he prays. And he's praying, and he has a vision, and he saw an angel, and the angel came to him and said, um, uh, the angel said, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have uh, come up as a memorial offering before God. Now you send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter, and this is where he is, and I want you to do that. Anybody here ever had a vision that was that specific? I know I haven't. And so Cornelius did it. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, and he told them everything that had just happened, and he sent them off to Joppa to do it. Now, the next day about noon, I'm starting in verse 9, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, okay, so here's Peter. He's Jewish. Now, over here was in Caesarea was Cornelius. He's not Jewish. He's a Greek. There's no reason these people should ever have met each other. They should never even cross paths. But God sent a vision to this guy, and he's about to give a vision to this guy. So Peter goes up on the roof. You know the story. He goes up on the roof. He's hungry. He's waiting for something to eat. They don't have McDonald's. They don't have Kentucky Chick Fry. He can't just like order in a pizza. He's got to wait for the meal to be prepared. And he's hungry. And you know this really weird thing happens because this sheet comes down out of heaven and it's got all of these animals on it that are not clean. They're not like the kind of, peop- the kind of food that, that uh, Peter usually eats. They're unclean. And um, the voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat it. And Peter's like, Surely not. I have never eaten anything like that. I can't eat that kind of food. And the voice spoke to him and said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And that happens three times because Peter's a little bit hard-headed. We all know that. So God says, I'm going to do it once, twice, three times. I'm telling you, do not call anything impure that I call pure. So Peter's wondering what this means, and while he's wondering what this means, the men that Cornelius has sent are out at the gate, and they call out saying, hey, is Simon Peter here? And he's still thinking about the vision, and the Spirit says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. God is telling him, God is telling him, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to do. When I sign my books, I write down Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or to the left. God told Peter, these people are out there, I want you to go with them. I believe that the same God that spoke to Simon Peter will speak to you and I. As we're walking along, I believe that God will say, I want you to do this. I want you to talk to them. I want you to send this text. I want you to make this phone call. I think the same God that talked to these people in the Bible will talk to us. I do. I think you do too. Isn't that awesome? Woo! Yes! So, the next day Peter started out with them and um, the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. He called all of his relatives and close friends. And um, Cornelius falls down at his feet in reverence. So Peter's like, no way, man, stand up. I'm just a man. And Peter begins to talk to the large gathering of people there. And he says, "Um, you're well aware that it's against our law for me to even associate with the Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And so um, can I ask you why you sent for me? And Cornelius tells him about his vision. And, um, and so Peter uh, begins to, uh, to say, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's what Cornelius says to Peter. And Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Okay, so we're going back to the fact that Jesus died to bring reconciliation between God and man. This is the peace that we're talking about because Jesus is the the snake crusher. So the reconciliation between God and man, that's what Peter is telling them about. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen and by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all of those who heard the message. So, Peter is telling these Gentiles, hey, this is for you too. This is for you too. And it was because of Peter and Cornelius coming together that we're even sitting here. Isn't that awesome? Now, I believe that. Let me read this to you. This is a Mark Batterson quote, and I put this up here because I want you all to see this book. Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. It's a 40-day prayer challenge. This is a great book. If you don't have this book, it's a good one for you to get. And it's supposed to be a 40-day prayer challenge, but what I do is I read it every morning, the 40 days, and when I get to the end of it, I turn it over and I start day one again. And when I get to the end of it, I turn it over and I start day one again. Even though I've read it, I don't know how many times, It's just that encouraging. It's just testimonies of God answering prayers. So this is what he says. Now let me state the obvious. Cornelius and Peter should never have met each other. Never. Ever. They were separated by geography. The 32-mile distance between their two towns may not seem like much to us, but the average person in the first century didn't travel outside of a 30-mile radius of their birthplace. And more significantly, they were separated by ethnicity. Roman soldiers and Jewish disciples didn't hang out. In fact, Peter broke every law in the Jewish books when he entered the home of Cornelius. Stepping through that doorway was like crossing the Rubicon. He went against everything he's ever known and risked everything he's ever accomplished. The doorway to the home of Cornelius was like the wardrobe in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. I call it the door to whatsoever. No, he doesn't. I call it the door to whosoever. When Peter entered the house of Cornelius, it literally literally meant whosoever will may come. And that includes you and me. Mark Batterson. So Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 37.23, The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When I decided to go to a writer's conference down in Dallas, Texas, I had no idea I was going to sit in a a desk next to Ellen Harbin. No idea I was going to meet a lady named Ellen Harbin. When I sat next to her and we bumped elbows and we started chatting, I had no idea that we were going to start doing this Marco Polo thing with each other and chatting with each other on our telephones every day. No idea. Had no idea I was going to invite her to come to my women's retreat last fall and that we were going to spend a couple of days together like that and that she would invite me to her house and that we would do this and that we would do something later. And she, she Actually, <coughs> Ellen and another friend from Texas are coming to my house this month. They're coming back. She's coming to Kansas City in a couple of weeks. I didn't know that was going to happen. But the steps of a man and a woman are established by the Lord. He does that. I didn't know I had a friend in Michigan. It's cool. It's cool. The Lord orders our lives. He knows what he's doing, and he is in complete control. And because he ordered Peter's steps and gave him a vision that changed Peter's whole mindset about who and what was clean, and because he ordered Cornelius' life and directed him, Gentiles then were invited into the kingdom of God, and that changed everything. 
And Paul became very instrumental in the inclusion of Gentiles into the early church. Okay, let's talk for a minute about the difference between pre- and post-Pentecost Peter. We know that Peter was pretty scared the night that Jesus was crucified. He was full of fear. Even after Jesus was resurrected, uh, I think he was, he was pretty full of fear, uh, full of doubt and anxiety. Uh, I wonder if he might have thought he was going out of his mind. So about this time last year, I was teaching BBS, uh, Vacation Bible School, and um, I, on about Wednesday night, I looked out at the fourth and fifth graders. They were the last kids of the night. And I could see that they were bored. And I've always thought, I've always known that to teach the Bible in a boring way is a sin. I thought, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done teaching the Bible to kids. If, if they're bored, I'm finished. And I was also a little bit frustrated with them and with me. If they're bored, it's my fault because a wise teacher makes learning a joy. And so I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's only Wednesday. I've still got two nights to go, right? So the next night, when uh, it was time for the fourth and fifth graders, I had them wait out in the hall, and I had them line up. And when they got there, I had the door closed, and I said, okay, guys. I took the two couches that where they were going to be sitting on in the Bible room. I said, um, listen, there's a boat in there. But in between here and the boat, uh, it's really wet. So you're going to have to run, 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 run. Get in the boat, get in the boat, get in the boat. Okay. <laughs> so I went over and stood on the stage, and I became Peter. And I said, uh, I can't believe, I, I can't believe I doubted him. I can't, I can't, I can't believe I doubted him. I, I told him I would follow him anywhere he went. I mean, he was, he was my best friend. I told him, I, I told him that I would go with him all the way to death. I told him, I told him I would die with him if I had to die with him. But then, then that girl, that little girl, she looked at me and she said, you're a Galilean, I can tell from the way you talk. You're, and I said, no way, no way, I don't know him, I don't know him, no, I don't know him. And then, and then but, but, but they, they killed him, they killed him, he's dead, he's dead. Oh my gosh, he's dead. No, no he's not. No, he's not. He's alive. He's alive. I saw him. I saw him. He's alive. But he's not. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where you tell me where is he? Oh my God, where is he? What have they done with him? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where is he now? Where is he? Dear God, where is he? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to I don't I know what to do. I know what to do. I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisher. I'm going I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I know what to do. I'm going fishing. They listened to me that night. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, I think Peter thought he was going crazy. I don't think he knew what was happening. I don't think the disciples knew what was going on. I think they thought they were just going crazy. We've read these stories a million times, and so it's not new to us, but they were experiencing this for the first time, and they were not sure what was happening. Post-resurrection Jesus, I mean, post-resurrection Peter was pretty unsure of what was going on. Let's look a little bit further in Peter's life, though. After Pentecost, after Peter and his friends receive the Holy Spirit, Peter becomes the boldest disciple on the face of the earth. And he starts going around telling everybody about the resurrected Jesus. And it's because the Holy Spirit has come swooping down and has filled Peter up with God himself. The promise that the Father gave was that we could have God himself inside of us. And God came and filled Peter with himself. Now, in Acts 12, Peter finds himself in jail. And I'm going to open up the Bible to that, so I'm, I kind of get it uh, right. Acts chapter 12. Let's see what it says. We 
was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And he saw that this pleased the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Okay, what's four times four? So there's 16 guards holding prison, uh, Peter in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between what? If you were fixing to be brought to trial and you knew you were going to die, would you be asleep? Peter's sound asleep. He's so sound asleep that when the angel gets there, Scripture says he had to strike Peter on the side and wake him up. Peter's so sound asleep, the guy's got to go, Peter, wake up! Come on, dude! So the angel wakes Peter up and says, put on your clothes and your sandals. And so Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel followed him. And it wasn't until Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him and Peter came to himself and said, Hmm, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. So when this had dawned on him, he decided to go to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many of the people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Mary and Rhoda, I just kind of think about Mary Tyler Moore, <laughs> right? So Peter's out there, and he's going, hey. Hey, you guys open the door, y'all. Open up. Open up. And Rhoda comes to the door and she's like, Hey, what? Peter? Peter? You can't be Peter. Peter's in jail. Mary! Mary, he says it's Peter. What are you talking about? It's after midnight. It can't be Peter. Peter's dead. Mary, Mary, he says. And they're like, no, no, no. It can't be Peter. It must be his ghost. They don't even believe that he's alive, even though they're back here praying for him. What kind of faith is that? Right? <laughs> And so um, Peter's standing out there, and they've been praying. Rhoda doesn't even open the door. She slams the door in his face and goes back. But these are real flesh and blood people, y'all, and they lived during a time in history when the church was brand new, and God was working fabulous, crazy miracles and answering the prayers of his people. God was so present and so close and so very, very near. Peter, Paul and a post-Pentecost people, y'all. We are a post-Pentecost people. And when the Holy Spirit came down and he filled them up with himself, that didn't end. And we have access to that same Holy Spirit flowing through us. And so it's time right now for our little worship break, and we're going to sing, I Come to the Garden, because this is all about relationship. Remember? God wants a relationship with his people. God wants a relationship with us. So stand with me and let's worship. Thank you, Beverly. I didn't practice this, so I don't know what key it's in. We'll just try it. Let's see what happens. Let's try the key of G. Let's try the key of C. Let's try. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I Falling on my ear, the sound 
about a heavy revy I believe the Lord gave me over the Christmas season this past year. I was spending a lot of time thinking about the Christmas story like we do about that time of year and I was thinking about teenager Mary and the fact that when the angel came and said don't be afraid you're gonna be with child and uh, this is what's gonna happen. Remember what she said? She said, how can this be since I've never been with a man? So she's minding her own business one day, and all of a sudden she gets interrupted by an angel. Comes busting into her, her everyday existence. She's, remember, we've read the story a million times. She had never read the story before. And she's just doing whatever people did, whatever teenager girls did at that time. Getting water or sweeping, I don't know what she was doing. And all of a sudden, here's this big guy, and he says, first of all, don't be afraid, and secondly, you're going to get pregnant. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, how is this going to happen? Um, because uh, she doesn't just say, uh, yes, sir. She has the presence of mind and the courage to say, excuse me, um, how's this going to work? Because I've never even been with a man. Scripture says... And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So I was thinking about that scripture and wondering how in the world that whole thing really worked. How does this really happen? And I feel like the Lord gave me this revelation. First, I want to ask you this riddle. What did the Holy Spirit do for Mary that he wants to do for all of us? And the men are going, man, I hope he's not going to make me pregnant. 
And pretty much every other woman in the room is going, I hope he doesn't make me pregnant. What did the Holy Spirit do for Mary that he wants to do for all of us? He caused her to bear fruit. He caused her to bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. That's totally what he did for Peter on the day of Pentecost. He caused Peter to bear much fruit. How much? 3,000 souls. All throughout the book of Acts, you find the Holy Spirit coming down on people and large number of folks being added to those who were following Christ. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to give us the ability to bear fruit. To bear much fruit. So practically speaking, what does this look like? Well, I want to tell you a story. One Sunday, um, uh, a year and a half ago in March, I was at church, Desperation Church, a little bit early, and I saw a lady who looked like she was visiting. I could tell she was visiting because we have paintings all over the walls of our sanctuary because sometimes when the pastor's preaching, somebody will be painting. And so we've got paintings all over. And she was looking at the paintings, walking around looking at the paintings on the, the walls. And I was just doing ordinary before service stuff. And so I said hello to her and I asked her, I, I found out she lives in the same town that I live in. I don't live in Liberty where our church is. I live in Kearney, a little bit north of our church. And so I asked her if she wanted to sit with me, not realizing that she was going to become one of my closest friends. And so um, she, she sat down with me and we began to do church together. And um, uh, you know, I said, listen, I sit, I sit in the third row. And she's like, well, that's okay. And I said, um, also, I, I raise my hands when I worship, but it's okay because it's like just if I was like, at a football game and I would be going, go Chiefs. I said, it's just because I love Jesus. She said, that's okay. I said, um, also, it's going to get really loud in here. I mean, we, we worship God really loud. And she said, I, I was invited here by the drummer. <laughs> because you see, before me, there was Matt, the drummer, and the drummer is a postman who, who does his route in Liberty where she works, and he came to the State Farm office where she works, and he told her about Desperation Church. So before me, there was Matt. I wouldn't have had this story to tell if Matt hadn't been doing what he does, just going about his everyday life, staying connected to the Lord, listening to the Holy Spirit, being a Liberty mailman, delivering mail and the good news of Jesus, with his whole heart sharing about the love of Christ and telling people about Desperation Church. Because of Matt, the mailman, Shelly came to D.C. And then I happened to speak to her and invite her to sit next to me. Now around that same time, but in a completely different location, up in Kearney, my friend Mandy, who lives across the street from me, was sharing with one of her friends from high school. She and another friend decided to go to uh, dinner with a friend of theirs from high school, and they decided, let's casually bring up church, because Jennifer didn't go to church. Mandy and Christy went to church. They, let's just casually bring up church and see if Jen bites. So they brought up church, and, and it did indeed spark some interest. They, they, they weren't sure if it would, but the next Sunday, Mandy didn't go to church. She went to, lake, to the lake with their family. So when her sister-in-law texted her to say that Jen had walked into church that morning and was weeping through the whole worship service, Mandy was like, are you kidding me? It blew her mind. Mandy's just going about her life, doing her normal thing, staying connected to the Lord, listening to the Holy Spirit, having dinner with some friends from high school. Casually mentioned church in front of Jen. Jen goes to church is in the presence of the Lord for the first time ever, feels the, the Holy Spirit, gets drawn to the Assembly of God Church uptown. Okay? Now, Mandy lives across the street from me. We meet together on Sunday nights. We pray together. We ask the Lord to use us in our community, especially in the lives of other women. Now listen to this. Guess who lives next door to Shelley? Jen? Who can do that? Only God. They don't live, they don't live next, near us. They live in a completely different, different neighborhood in Kearney. Jennifer and Shelley used to be drinking buddies. Guess who got baptized in two separate churches last fall? Shelley, Jennifer. 
Now, Mandy's high school friend decided to go to church that day last July. Shelly just so happened to come to church because of Matt, and all the glory goes to Jesus because people are just walking along, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit behind them. This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or to the left. And God's using people to bear fruit for his kingdom. Okay? So Mandy and I became friends about five years ago. Um, she was, uh, at the time, going to my church, and um, I, I was the, the children's pastor, and, and I remember sitting on the um, floor of the nursery, and she came and stuck her head through one of those half doors, you know, and she said, hey, we're looking for a house in your neighborhood. And I got goosebumps. I'm like, Mandy, what did you say? She said, we're looking for a house in your neighborhood. I didn't know her very well at the time. And I said, that gives me goosebumps because I've been praying for a revival in my neighborhood for 20 years. And so when Mandy moved to my neighborhood, I asked her to start meeting with me on Sunday nights, and she did. And so we started meeting on Sunday nights. We started praying together for revival in our neighborhood. And, you know, I, I, I haven't, hadn't really seen anything much happening. But this last fall, about this time last year, Mandy and I decided maybe, maybe it was time to start doing something because these friends of hers that she went to high school with, they just... They don't know Jesus. They didn't grow up knowing Jesus. I have always worked in a church or in a Christian school. I've always been surrounded by people who know the Lord. I'm, I mean, you know, I've always loved being able to pour into other people's children. I've always loved being able to pour into women who've known the Lord for a long time, but I've never been around people who didn't know Jesus. I just haven't had that opportunity. But now, because Mandy grew up in the public school, she's bringing people to my living room on Tuesday nights who don't know the Lord. I said to my husband last fall, there are people dropping the F-bomb in your living room. He said, my living room? <laughs> I said, yeah. The next week I said, so now there are people in your living room who are high. He said, my living room? I said, yeah, but guess what? Then they're going to the Assembly of God Church uptown and they're at the altar the next week. It is so much fun, y'all. It is so much fun. So like um, one of the first... One of the first Tuesday nights that we did this thing that we call Tuesday Together, we call it Tuesdays Together, because we didn't want it to be, we wanted it to be kind of non-threatening. We didn't call it Bible study. It's just Tuesdays Together. Just come on over to, we call it Hewitt Manor. Just come on over to Hewitt Manor. It's just a regular house. My children used to think it was haunted, so they called it Hewitt Manor. <laughs> anyway, just come on over to Hewitt Manor. We're doing Tuesdays Together. So one of the first nights, Jen raises her hand. She goes, but I told that story about uh, Cornelius and Peter. But what is a Gentile? And where is the book of Acts? Come sit on my couch every week. And she does. And she's reading through the Bible. She's in Psalms. I'm telling you, it is the most exciting thing I've ever done. That's because... God wants us to bear fruit. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of us, and he wants us to bear fruit. Now, how do you be fruitful? It's the Holy Spirit's job. Just like he made the Virgin Mary fruitful, he wants to make us fruitful. And a tree doesn't struggle and strain to bear fruit. He doesn't go, oh, I'm going to bear fruit. No. He just abides. The vine doesn't groan in an effort to make grapes. The grapes just happen. The apples just come. The peaches pop out after the bloom. It's not a result of effort. It's a result of the connection. The roots go down deep into the soil and the flowers are fertilized. I don't know how it all works, but it's not through the effort of the tree. It's because the tree remains. It abides. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So just stay connected to God, y'all. Read the Bible, pray, go to church. Stay connected to your people. Make sure you have a small group. Stay connected to them. It's that simple. Do those things and you'll bear fruit. Have a quiet time. Remember what we talked about on Wednesday? Have a quiet time, have a quiet time, have a quiet time every single day. Get to know God, abide in Him, let Him talk to you, listen to Him. 
These are the things that will cause you to bear fruit. Spend time gazing at the sun and reflect his glory. I want to read two verses out of the Old Testament. Look at them real quick. This is a super fun story. In 2 Kings chapter 13, I wonder if I put this in here. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Oh, here we go. This is, um, this is 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, Then Elisha died and was buried. This is a great story. Two verses in the Old Testament. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once, when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. What? Are you kidding me right now? The dude was dead, and they were in a hurry because they were running away from the Moabite raiders, so they toss him into the tomb, and he bumps into the bones of this dead prophet, and because the prophet was such a powerful man of God, the power of God was still all over his bones, and the prophet's dead body still had power in it, and because of the powerful spirit of God in this dead prophet's body, The dead dude comes back to life. And the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Can you even believe it? Do you think it could be like that for us? Because it wasn't Elisha's bones that did it. It was the Spirit of God in Elisha's bones. And it's that same Spirit that's in us. Scripture says that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. That same spirit. Could we have that same kind of attractiveness and power because of the love of Jesus? Because of the life of Jesus? Because of the joy of knowing Jesus? I wonder if people around us are walking dead because they don't have the privilege of knowing Jesus yet. And if they could bump into us because we're full of life and joy and peace and contentment, not fear, but faith, because we know that God is in control, maybe we could be so attractive that other people are drawn to Jesus too, and they come to life. Jesus came and walked around on this earth, and he touched and healed broken people. He delivered people that were afflicted by the devil. Ultimately, he went to the cross and made a way so that each one of us could defeat sin and death. We do not have to be the living dead. We can be full of hope, on this earth because of him. And then when people see the life of Jesus inside of us and they bump up against us, they rub up against us, because of the life that flows through us, maybe they can come alive too. Wouldn't that be something great? That's what I'm going to pray over us right now, okay? Father, thank you so much for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are not only post-resurrection people, we are post-Pentecost people. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and fills us with himself. Thank you that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. I pray that you would put such peace and joy and enthusiasm inside of us that other people would see the way we live and that they would be drawn to you, Father. Thank you for these great people sitting right here. Please bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.